President Trump has fired his administration's top election security official. We're going to have an orderly transfer from this administration to the next one. There's no reason not to be giving uh, former Vice President Biden and Senator Harris the intelligence briefings. Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of political theater. It's Wednesday, November 18th. We're now more than two weeks removed from Election Day and more than a week since Joe Biden was declared the president-elect. But President Donald Trump has refused to concede the race and has even refused to begin cooperating in the presidential transition process. Joining us today is David Marchik, director of the Center for Presidential Transition, which is part of the Partnership for Public Service. He's a former executive at the Carlyle Group and worked in several capacities in the administration of Bill Clinton, including at the State Department, the Commerce Department, and the Office of the U.S. Trade Representative. David, welcome to Political Theater. Thanks for having me. So let's just uh, talk a little bit just for, for those uh, people listening that, who aren't as familiar with the partnership and, and, the, and the center that you're the director of. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you and your colleagues at the Center for Presidential Transition do. Sure. Well, the Partnership for Public Service is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization focused on the effectiveness in government. And we believe that an effective government starts with a smooth transition. So we also have a Center for Presidential Transition, which is really kind of the center for expertise on transition planning. And we've worked through four cycles with Obama, then in 2012, heavily with Romney. In 2016, we've worked closely with both the Trump and the Clinton transition teams. And this year, we've worked with the Trump White House, with the agencies, and also with the Biden team. And I should note, too, that some of the folks uh, who you work with at the center uh, include Michael Levitt, who was Mitt Romney's uh, chief of transition and the former governor of Utah, former HHS secretary under George W. Bush, Mac McClarty, who was the White House chief of staff in the Clinton White House, uh, where you worked, uh, and and also Josh Bolton, uh, George W. Bush's former chief of staff uh, at, at the end of his second term. So this is a bipartisan effort as well. It's a total bipartisan effort. What we try to do is attract the best and the brightest that have done the best transitions. So for example, Josh Bolton, let me start with him. He's one of the godfathers of smooth transitions. So he was involved in the Bush transition in, but perhaps more importantly, he was in the Bush transition out. So George W. Bush had a shortened transition, 37 days because of Bush v. Gore. Nine months after he took office, 9-11 happened. And as the 9-11 commission famously wrote, he didn't have all his people in place. He didn't have his top national security people. So fast forward to the end of the Bush administration, Bush basically said the next president should have a smoother transition, regardless of whether they're Democrats or Republican. And he asked Josh to coordinate that. So Josh started working with all the agencies. And even though Bush supported McCain, he worked equally with both the McCain and the Obama campaigns and the transition teams to facilitate a smooth transition of power regardless of who won. So Josh, in my view, created the gold standard transition on which every transition should be modeled. And let's talk a little bit about how the current transition that we're uh, witness to right now I mean, you, you mentioned that the that the 2008-2009 um, transition was among the gold, gold standards, as you, as you just put it. Um, how does it compare to other transitions, you know, at least in the modern era? Like, historically, how does this stack up uh, with, uh, with previous transitions? This is not going to be one of the best ones. I mean, the Biden team, I would say, is the most experienced, the deepest, the most organized transition ever. 
they have learned what other transition teams have done well and what they've done poorly. They've adopted best practice and they've developed new best practice. So I think that future transition teams, Republican and Democrat, will be studying the Biden transition team for years to come. They've done a fantastic job. Prior to the election, actually, everybody was working very well. The Trump White House, they did a very good job. They were very buttoned up. They focused on implementing the law. The agencies, which are responsible for transition planning, had done a really good job. They implemented the law. They were ready. That You have hundreds and hundreds of career officials across the government that have been working on this for three, six, nine, 12 months, and they're ready. And unfortunately, everything's on hold. So I'm hopeful that the transition can be smooth from today or tomorrow on out. I'm hopeful that the GSA will make the decision to start the formal transition process. The Biden team's doing exactly what they should be doing. He's moving forward. He's making appointments. He's talking to foreign leaders. They're rolling out policies. They're doing everything in their control. That's exactly what they should be doing. But they can't really complete the transition unless there's cooperation with the outgoing. That actually, I, uh, I'm going to skip down to, uh, to something I wanted to possibly end with, but that's just a good transition right there, which is, okay. we like what's, transitions. The, yeah, what's the recourse that the Biden team has, either legal or political, that could force the current administration to comply with the requirements of the transition? Because it's not just a, um, you know, a handshake kind of thing. This stuff is like set by statute, as you, as you mentioned earlier. Ultimately, I think the outgoing should do the right thing for the benefit of the America. So let me give you one example. National security is obviously a critical issue in any transition. We know from history that uh, it's a time of great vulnerability. We know that foreign interests hack into transition teams' emails. We know that, that foreign adversaries seek to take advantage of the United States during times of transition. But perhaps the most important thing where the American people should want cooperation today is on the vaccine. So the Trump administration, to their credit, has launched this program called Operation Warp Speed. It's the Pentagon, HHS, and a bunch of other agencies, the Department of Agriculture, which is critical because of rural communities. So they're stockpiling the vaccine, they're stockpiling syringes, they're stockpiling ice, um, alcohol swabs, all the thing that one would hope the government would be doing. They're way ahead. But most of the vaccine is going to be actually distributed under the Biden administration post-January 20th. There may be 20 or 30 million doses out before January 20th, which means everybody needs two doses. So that means that there may be 10 or 15 million Americans that get the vaccine before January 20th, meaning there are 300 million plus Americans that need it after. One would think that it would be in the Americans' interest for the Biden COVID team, the Biden healthcare team, the Biden logistics team to be working with HHS and DOD today to figure out how those vaccines can be out the door as quickly as possible. And there are important decisions to be made about who gets it first, what the order, how it's going to be distributed. And the American people, I think, would want that to happen today. But assuming if, if, you know, in a, in a sort of a worst case scenario here, if the Trump administration continues to sort of stonewall, I mean, I, I, would, I would guess that a, a lawsuit would take a while to take hold, you know, if, if you have to sue the administration to comply with the law. I mean, so are we, are we talking about, I mean, a situation where we, it could be, you know, there, there isn't a lot we can do if 
the administration doesn't step up? It's really hard to speculate on what might happen. I think what you've seen is Democratic and Republican senators and Democratic and Republican governors have joined the growing chorus of people saying it's time to get going. Yesterday, the the business roundtable, which Josh Bolton leads, these are the biggest businesses in the country, Walmart, Johnson & Johnson. They basically said the transition should get going. So, you know, it's deeply in the American interest to get this going. We're in a time of four crises, an economic crisis, a health crisis, a social justice crisis, and a political crisis. It's imperative that this gets going. That's, that's the pressure mechanism. It's in the American interest. So let's talk about some of those the examples that like are are just like you know this was this is like an extreme situation that we seem to be in, but it could be it, it's not this bad. <laughs> let's so let's talk about some of those worst case scenarios from the from history. Well, I'm not sure that we suck less is like a, a strategy, <laughs> but it's it's like a corollary of the, uh, the Joe Madden uh, quote: uh, "Try not to suck." Right, the, right exactly. the, the former so, Cubs manager. <laughs> um, there have been some horrible transitions. During the Civil War, seven states seceded. As Of course, you know, as a student of history, there was a four-month interregnum then. Lincoln was way across the country. It took him 18 days to take a train to Washington. And so seven states seceded. The Buchanan administration broke up. Half the cabinets, you know, basically said, I support the South. Congress did nothing. And by the time Lincoln took that train trip to Washington, actually, There was an assassination attempt in in Baltimore. So he got on a commuter train in the middle of the night in kind of street clothes without his top hat and snuck into Washington to avoid being assassinated. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it could be worse, but I'm not sure that's the model. (laughs) Uh, Hoover to Roosevelt was pretty bad. So uh, we were in a Great Depression. During the four-month interregnum, obviously, Roosevelt was the last person to take the oath of office after four months. the Great, the Great Depression peaked. We had bank runs in 25 states. Hitler came to power. Japan solidified their invasion of China. And Hoover hated Roosevelt. He looked down on him. He thought that Roosevelt was feeble in mind and feeble in body. And his idea of a smooth transition was to try to convince Roosevelt that he should abandon the New Deal. In fact, there was an assassination attempt on Roosevelt in Miami as well. And I believe the, the mayor of Chicago was actually hit. Um, it was an Italian immigrant that, that shot him. And Hoover sent a seven-page letter. There was one line that basically said, by the way, I'm, hap- I'm happy you're not hurt. The rest of it was all about how he should abandon the New Deal and adopt Hoover's policies. So, you know... Moving forward, Eisenhower and Truman, they didn't really like each other. Eisenhower wouldn't go to the White House reception, pre-inauguration. But again, I don't think those are models. I think the model should be what Bush did for Obama, even though Obama basically won running against Bush. What Obama prepared for Trump, you know, there's a history of bipartisanship, of nonpartisanship in transitions. And that's why we have these great people like Josh Bolton, Mike Levitt, Penny Pritzker, uh, Mac McClarty. You know, they've been involved in transitions in and transitions out. And people, I mean, officials take it seriously. So this is really an aberration and I'm hopeful that it's a short aberration. 
and kind of on the on the flip side too, a sometimes a smooth transition doesn't guarantee that the administration uh, will 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 succeed. Um, you know, I've I've heard I've re- I've read that uh, Richard Nixon's uh, initial transition, you know, from the Johnson administration to his was just went smooth as silk, and then you know we can see what happened with Nixon, <laughs> um, and and also in the in, you know in the early days of the Clinton administration, um, you know there were a lot of uh, kind of concerns voiced that the transition was kind of rocky, and yet. You know, Bill Clinton was reelected. Um, you know, like uh, is is sort of regarded as a a, a fairly decent uh, president. Uh, produced uh, obviously good staff and and uh, political appointees like yourself. Um, so it's it's not it it isn't this um, just having a smooth transition doesn't guarantee that things will go well, right? That's correct. So Bill Clinton had a famously rocky transition. Um, you know, the Republicans were in power for twelve years. Clinton did not want to invest a huge amount of time and resources into it. We actually have a, a podcast called Transition Lab, and Mac McClarty was on the podcast. Clinton did not want to look presumptuous, um, and so he didn't invest a lot of time. He also made a couple of critical mistakes. He focused on appointing the cabinet first as opposed to the White House, um, and he also just was very slow. And so Mac would say that it created challenges for his first year and he adjusted. Carter had a terrible transition. Um, He actually was the first modern president to allocate campaign staff and resources to transition planning. So he had Jack Watson who eventually became his chief of staff uh, running a transition process with 50 people. But there was one thing he did. He didn't tell the campaign about it. So you have 50 people working out kind of in Jack Watson's office some very prominent people like Tony Lake and others, but they didn't tell the campaign. So about 10 days before the election, there started to be these stories in the newspaper about the Carter White House will do this and the Carter White House will do that. And the campaign people said, where's this coming from? So again, we had Stu Eisenstadt and David Rubenstein on our podcast, and basically they didn't know about it. So what happened? So there was a huge clash. Stu and David, who you know went on to senior positions in the Carter administration, would say it imperiled the first year of the uh, of the Carter White House, and it took a year to adjust. Nixon, um, you recall that the Kennedy Nixon race was very very close. I think it was a hundred thousand votes. I can't recall the exact uh, differential. Uh, much closer than today's election. Nixon, who may not be a paragon of virtue, but he basically said. I'm not going to put the country through a recount or a long process of disputes because that would cause harm to our country. So I'm going to concede. With your experience in working in the Clinton White House and also working uh, in uh, outside in the in the State Department and so forth, uh, do you have any sort of anecdotes about your own, you know, like part in some of these transitions that, that, that did you witness that you were able to be a part of and say like, you know, this is you know, kind of one of those things I, I, had, I didn't think of at the time, uh, but I'm glad that I saw it and glad that I learned it and it's kind of informed um, your your thinking and your approach now to this. By the way, the margin of victory, I just looked it up, 117,000 votes. Yeah, just just slightly more than than Trump's over over Biden or over Clinton in 2016. Exactly. But today yeah, we so. have, you know, 70,000 votes in Pennsylvania, which right. is a state that Trump needs to win. Right. So right. Nixon lost the whole country 
right. by that. And I think yeah. Biden's up by 5 million votes or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, going back to the Clinton administration, I was a kid, I was a junior guy, I, I was not really relevant. Um, but let me tell you why a smooth transition is really important. So in the first 35 days of the Clinton administration, the following things happened. First, there was a Haiti refugee crisis, something that nobody talked about in the campaign. Second, there was the first World Trade Center bombing. Third, on February 25th of 1993, Waco happened. So all of that happened within 35 days of Clinton taking the oath of office. And so what that shows is that a president can't, uh, that, that events don't wait for a president and their team to be ready. Events happen. And that's why a smooth transition is, is absolutely critical. So fortunately, again, President like Biden, he's probably the most experienced person ever to become president. Maybe George H.W. Bush was second. Um, he's got a really experienced team. I think the fact that they are so experienced ameliorates some of the impact of the delayed transition. But every day there's a delay, the consequences are greater because there's going to be a logjam. Let me give you one other data point. So Bush, he had a good team. Cheney, whether you like him or not, he was very experienced and very effective in government. Cheney ran the transition in 2000. They had a very good personnel operation. Because they could not process the, the people, the personnel appointments quickly enough through the FBI, through the Office of Government Ethics, through the agencies, they had 50% of the Senate-confirmed officials that Obama had on day 100 of the administration. And they didn't really catch up until around September of that year. Um, and so what happens is there's just a total traffic jam in terms of processing personnel. And each day, that traffic gets worse and worse and worse. It's like going through a tunnel, and there are five lanes, and you get a backup. And the longer the backup uh, happens, the longer it takes to clear. And each day, that's happening. So that's why getting this going is so important. Do you think that the Biden team could do anything more to, to streamline this, uh, to uh, absent cooperation from the Trump people? Again, I think they're doing everything possible. I think that future Democrats and Republicans are going to study the Biden transition for what they've done. It's a new model, just like Romney created a new model, Mike Levitt. Romney, he didn't win, but he was very, very organized and very buttoned up. Mike Levitt uh, did a great job. And the, the Romney model has been studied by every transition team. And I think the Biden team will have just as much consequence, if not more. Well, David, thank you very much for walking us through some of this stuff. I, I think that this is, um, I mean, you talk about the Biden team. I think this period of, of history is going to be uh, one of the most looked at for at least for a while. We're, I feel It feels like we're living in very consequential times. And I appreciate, you know, you uh, sort of uh, providing some, some context and guidance for it. I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And I think this podcast hopefully will be part of that history. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks very much. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Theater is the Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening. Thank you.